Hello, friends, and welcome to Backstory. I'm your host, Alex Roberts. I just want to start off by thanking everyone who's come out to support me on my Patreon. It's been really, really cool to see people just like show up and be excited about what I'm making. I've been posting a little bit about a LARP I'm working on and some other projects you may not have heard about. We're about halfway to my first goal. If I get 100 supporters, I'm going to release a very cute little PDF of a very funny little game that, well, we'll see when you get to play it. My guest today is Jen Sandercock. Though she's probably best known for her Edible Games cookbook, which is how I found out about her, she has worked across so many different media, digital, tabletop, funny little like modifications of folk games. It's all really, really cool stuff, independently and in teams. We talked about friendship, challenge, and hacking recipes. Let's jump right in. but I've now closed orders so nobody can get the book anymore like I closed orders last week so that's kind of it until I can find a publisher like nobody's gonna be able to get it because I don't I don't know I don't want to deal with holding stock and trying to work out how to get it out to people that's just I'm a game designer not a like I don't know distributor (laughs) there's that's that's very like Star Trek like damn it Jim I'm a game designer not a doctor exactly (laughs) Yeah, that that is like the difficult thing about being independent is finding that balance between the parts of it that you love and the parts of it that you kind of just have to do in order for your game to exist. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah, as an independent, you really just have to do so many things. And most of those things I'm fine doing. But certainly if I want to do something more than just my Kickstarter, it's a bunch of things that are not game development. It's a lot of biz devs, smoozing with people, talking up, promoting. And I'm not, uh, that's not my forte. <laughs> do you find it hard to promote your own work to be like, to be your own kind of hype person? Oh my gosh, yes, all the time. I just, I I came from, um, I grew up in Australia and uh, in Australia we've got something called the tall poppy syndrome. The basic idea is if you have like a big field of poppies and one of them grows above the others, you chop it down. You've got to make everybody the same height. So that's, I mean, people are trying to change and that's not everybody in Australia, but there is a bit of that culture where you don't try to promote yourself or make yourself seem better than everybody else. And so that's certainly a, like, it's just part of me. I'm, I'm not very good at being like, Hey, I did this super, super thing or whatever I usually say oh it's crazy it's it's weird I I did a thing tell me about you instead (laughs) I was just gonna say like does it feel like being on a different planet being in you're in the bay area right in San Francisco oh no I'm up in Seattle now I used to be in the bay Area. right right which is like the opposite like you must be the tall poppy (laughs) yeah I mean it does feel weird when people like oh what do you do for a living and I like I do make a call about how how much do I want to say like how energetic am I right now like because if I tell people edible games oh my gosh people get so excited they want to know all about it they talk about it and it's like sometimes I just like I just don't have the energy to do that you know like at the supermarket checkout I'm like yeah I 
make I'm a developer or something or you know like maybe a game developer and like you know it's like I, I choose how how far and I want to uh, engage with people it's true it can be a lot of work to to explain like and you have to gauge how much okay how much does this person know what are they gonna assume when I say games yeah exactly and particularly because my stuff is so different to what most people think of in terms of games and it's pretty much new to the vast majority of people who I speak to so it's just yeah it's I get a lot of really full-on reactions which makes me like I mean it's great that I get that reaction it's great that people are so excited but it it can be draining when I'm just trying to do something run-of-the-mill chore right when you're just trying to get your groceries and go exactly 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 so yeah it, it was somewhat nice like it, it was nice and also scary when I was at um, GDC um, last month and a couple of people who I ran into they're like oh what do, what do you do and I'm like oh I, you know kind of hesitantly I'm, I make uh, edible games I'm like oh you're Jen Sandercock or oh I've heard about edible games and, and that was that was really nice like it was nice that people had heard about it and it was also nice that I didn't have to do all the explaining that they, they already knew where I was coming from. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really why we gather in like game circles is just to like explain things slightly less. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, because then we can move on to the next conversation of like how do you know, like what does it actually mean to design games? How many different ways, like not just design games, but design my food games. Like how can you put food into games in more interesting ways? And, and people come up with all kinds of wonderful suggestions to me that I'm like, oh, must take a note. I'll someday I'll get around to that. I, I was having a lot of fun, I have to say, looking at some of your earlier work. I know that like obviously the edible games kickstarter was like massively massively successful and people are super excited about it i i got to see people at xoxo just being like oh my god i was like oh my god and it it makes me wonder like you're doing so many different things and like just jumping all over the place and trying so many different media do you feel like edible games is going to be like your thing now like are you going to produce more things like this or do you want to move on to something different well, that's the thing. I would love to keep doing edible games. I would that I would be if I can just keep designing new ways to play with food. Oh my gosh, happy, happy, joy, joys. But the problem is, like, as much as my Kickstarter was very successful, once I break down, like, how much money I need to pay other people to help me make it, um, how much I need to pay to actually get things created and then shipped to people the book itself is like it's now over four pounds and that costs a lot to ship places so once you do that breakdown the amount of money that I actually kind of get myself is pretty pretty small and so it's like if I tried to do another kickstarter it would probably it might do equally as well sometimes if you try to do a second kickstarter it can do less well so it's kind of like well it's not consistent money it's not really enough for me to really live off so I can't necessarily keep going on it so and that's the part where I'm like if I want to keep going on edible games I need to work out a way to get my work out there more which is a lot of self-promotion networking business like all these things that I'm not good at and so because I just want to be designing games, I'm like, well, I'm probably going to find something else to do that will be able to pay me. Yeah, that's that's a very common refrain, I think. I would do this all the time, were it possible. 
Yeah, that's, yeah, that's totally it. So, I mean, for me, given that my priority is designing games and I, as much as like, I do like food, I still just, I like making any sort of games. Like my background is like super diverse. I've worked on all kinds of different games and I've really enjoyed doing all of that. So I can see in the future, it's not like the only, like I could only be happy making edible games. No, I could be happy being a producer. I could be happy like doing all kinds of other things. And some stuff isn't necessarily even games, but it's like, I I have a lot of passion, too many. So I was really interested in, your your 2013 project this like game every month and you had already been doing some things that were like game idea every week or you know like i said experimenting but what i was really amazed by in the in the game a month project was that you just you just put things out there you're like this is okay this pretty much works i don't like this one very much (laughs) here you go it's out it's gone i gotta move on to the next thing what was that like emotionally to put out things that were like not 100% where you wanted them to be and you just had to toss them out there and move on? I mean, that was part of the process, you know. It's it's interesting. I went into that project with the idea that there was a specific game that I really wanted to work with, work on and I was working full-time at uh, the start of the year and I just wasn't finding the time to get going on that project. So I thought, well, how about I think of it like separating it out into gameplay mechanics so that each month I was going to work on a different gameplay mechanic that was going to build together to create one final game at the end of the year. And it turned out that that big game that I had an idea of, that ended up being idea, like the game third or fourth month, and it didn't really work at all. Um, So, you know, which was part part of the process. And so to me, putting stuff out there is just part of giving myself deadlines, right? Like if if I don't have a deadline, I don't get stuff done. I work really well with deadlines. So even though like at the time back in, you know, 2013 or whatever, not many people were looking at my website or doing anything. I'm like, but but I told people I was going to have a new game and it's the start of the month already. Like somehow they're going to get on to me like if it's like the third of a month and and I haven't released something people are going to and of course there wasn't a single human in the world who would have even noticed whether I like skipped an entire month right but in my head there kind of was and also because it was a process where I had to keep going month to month I kind of couldn't stop to perfect anything so I also did quite a few game jams uh, that year and so some of the games were just game jams so I'm like okay great I've got a game jam for this month so that's going to be that game and then I can like spend almost two months working on some other game you know um, I haven't done a ton of game jams what do you what do you find is like the main draw of of doing a game jam for you it's to me doing something totally different to what I'm doing right now like or just playing with something and kind of almost expecting it's going to fail, like giving myself the space to fail. It's funny because I think all of my Game Jam games have not been failures, but I go in going, this isn't going to work, I don't have enough time or I'm just here to have a bit of fun or whatever. Like I, I rarely do a Game Jam where I'm actually staying up all night. I'm like, I'm getting minimum eight hours of sleep and oh, and like this weekend I've actually got some other chores I've got to do. So, you know, it's like I'll do whatever I can within the time allotted. Um, And I I like having the theme. I like, yeah, I think it's the challenge to myself. I was like trying to think about whether I like 
being with all of the other people and for the most part I don't particularly. Um, it's nice to feel like we're all working together but to, for many of the game jams I've taken part in most people are doing more traditional digital games and so I feel like I have a lot less like I'm, I'm not as interested in those games. I, I'd be more interested if there was people doing some yeah. really quirky stuff. Yeah. Um, you and I both kind of worked in Twine around like 2012, 2014 era um, and doing and like working in that kind of thing. I know you have some Unity experience. How are you feeling about digital games now? Like, do you think that that's a place that you'll return to or are you like, bye, that was fun? <laughs> Um, I think digital games, as unstable as they are, are more likely to be able to pay bills. So it is highly likely that I will return to more digital games because um, they're, it's a bit more well, uh, well established. It feels like it's very unusual to find people in the tabletop space who are able to keep making tabletop games as designers consistently and the people who I have spoken to who are doing that it sounds like it's super draining you've like constantly got to be hustling and making stuff and it's it's not off the cards it's just I think a lot harder to be in tabletop yeah I think you're right which is uh sobering <laughs> to say that that digital games is like the more reliable option I mean, I think it's like in terms of small creator wanting to get something out, I think tabletop games is much better because the Kickstarter space for tabletop games is not dead yet and you can like get something out there and made. But if you're looking to try to actually have a career, in, a stable career in tabletop games, I think that's a lot harder. Like wh one version of my future is getting a job that has nothing to do with games whatsoever and then I can make games in my spare time that don't need to make money that they're just like fun side things you know I think sometimes the pressure to make a game be able to support you financially can change the game that you make and can put a lot of pressures onto it that maybe it can't hold up to yeah absolutely absolutely i think you're right and i think you know that probably applies to anything whether you're making jewelry or muffins or like whatever you're doing whether you're thinking about it for yourself or for like a commercial audience it's completely different goals yeah i mean and sometimes that stuff aligns quite naturally um but other times it doesn't and i feel like my edible games is very much it's it's super weird. It's hard to work out where it would fit. Like if if I'm planning to try to talk to a publisher, I'm like, well, where does that even go in a bookstore? Like, where where are they putting this in the cookbook section? Is this in the kids section? Is this in a game section? Is this in a novelty section? And it's like I don't like it's it's too weird to try to put it in a box whereas other times people are making a, a game where you're like oh yeah that would go in game stores and I can see exactly where it fits on the shelf and it would do really well there yeah it is really funny and that's like it's not necessarily in opposition to the quality of the game it's just a completely different like criteria like it's just a completely different set of evaluations yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and some stuff, it's fine. I mean, I feel like some people can go a little too far and be like, if you're making something commercially, then it's basically not creative anymore and you're a horrible sellout. And I'm like, well, no, 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 no. <laughs> I, 
No, no, definitely not. Uh, we, we all need money to be able to support ourselves. And um, yeah, and sometimes you can make really amazing, quirky, out there experiences that happen to be commercially viable. Yeah, totally. And like the concept of selling out, I mean, that's like, pff, that's so 90s. Like, go back. <laughs> I am so happy for my friends when they sell out because that just means that like, oh, you have you have like a little bit more survival money. Yay. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It. I, I mean, it feels like it's outdated to me, but I, I think some of that in the, in, there is still some of that in the indie game development scene, like particularly digital games, the, the people. Yeah, but that's, that's okay. They're, they're entitled to their own opinions. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's really healthy to have like a diversity of priorities too and like people to remind us of certain things and hold fast to certain things like more as an idealist, like more idealists, please like bring it on in. Um, Speaking about priorities in game design, um, you've written before about making games that give you, the developer, a hug. And I would just like to just bring that in and like just open that up and explore that okay yeah just yeah go <laughs> yeah i mean so some some i mean that came about through that project we were talking about with my gameplay mechanics every month for the year it was something i i think it happened the very first month like i was doing the global game jam and i can't remember what the 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 theme, i know the theme was the sound of a heart beating Anyways, like at the time I was like working a full-time job that was a little bit draining. I'm just like, you know what, I'm going to take this weekend. I'm going to create something that's a nice space for me, that's happy and makes me feel better about me. <laughs> and and I did that and it worked really well. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, right. I'm going to, going to, try, I'm going to try to do that for the whole year. And I had better and worse attempts at that um one of my worst attempts was um the twine game um that I did I'd been through a breakup and I'm like okay so people write songs about breakups I'm gonna make a game about this breakup um and it was it was really bad for me it made me stay in that breakup space for a lot longer because making a game takes a lot longer than writing a song I imagine I mean sometimes I'm sure making a song takes a while but like I had the idea of the game and then I had to implement it for a full month so it's like I had to keep thinking about my ex and what my ex would say or do in in certain circumstances and I think because of that I have very much realized that I I don't want to make a sad and serious games I think they have a place in the world and I hope many other people will make them I just know that I cannot make them it just I I I just like I I do need to feel loved I I'm very much an extrovert I get my energy from other people and so I try to make games that other people are going to love but are going to make me feel better about me like as I'm making them and after they've released out into the world yeah it's like art art can be healing and it can be like a way to process but it sounds like like it can also just kind of keep you in things like sometimes it's not sometimes art is just not healing and it's just wallowing yeah it did it did kind of feel like that i mean i was also going through a few other um quite full-on things in my life at the 
that time. So it was it was like a confluence of being forced to keep thinking about my ex and dealing with a whole bunch of other like you know health issues and I had to move house and like it was it was a lot going on in my life then that's yeah I I I read a little bit about that and like like that just really makes me wonder about when or where is the place for for making art about things that you're struggling with and maybe it's like not immediately or maybe you have to give yourself some time or I don't know. Well, potentially it's a game jam where it's it's going to be 48 hours and it's done. <laughs> Time limit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think, I mean, as much as it extended a bad period of my my life for a bit longer, I mean, I was done with the game within a month, so it wasn't too bad. I can't imagine for me working on a game that was a, a much larger game that would take like a year to make about those topics like I I mean certainly when I've when I finished that game like it's kind of funny like I've I've released that game and pretty much my whole life was much better like a I had I could feel a hundred percent closure I had I was like there wasn't some am I over this or not it was like I have really dealt with all of the things I could possibly deal with in that and I've done that and then I actually, like, very shortly after that, I met the man who is now my husband. So, yeah. Oh, oh, yay. That's okay. Good. Yay. Happy. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think I needed to go through that and process all of that terrible stuff. So, I mean, maybe at some point in my future, I do need to make another uh, game about more serious topics. But I, th- I think I shy away from it. Like, I, I love the edible games that I make, the the faces that people have as they play, like, the, just the pure joy. And I know I've spoken to some people about, like, edible games, and they talk about all the mean things I could do as a as a game designer, and as somebody feeding food to people. And I'm just like, they are not the sort of experiences I would enjoy playing and that's not the sort of thing I want to make so to me it's just the self-awareness of like please go and make that sort of game if that's something I know there's a market out there and there's other people who would love that I'm just not going to do that yeah it sounds like you really are drawn to making games that okay the word authentic I like apologize for using it but like but like that authentically come from you that are like an actual expression of what what you care about making. Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I I have my three criteria of friendship, curiosity, and challenge. And that kind of is my life. Like friends are so important to me. I stay in touch with so many friends back in Australia, and I haven't lived in the country for seven years now. And like my best friend is basically someone we only ever lived together in the same city for one year of our life when we first met. And since then, we've been in different cities. Um, so so friendship's super important to me. I really love curiosity. I love finding out about other people and things. I like, you know, different foods. I, I, I want to explore the world. And then challenges that I always like to improve myself. So those kind of three things apply to me and then they apply to the style of games I make. And there's a really large variety of games that can fit under that umbrella. I, I want to really kind of break down two of those things. The first one being friendship. I was very interested in like the, the picture taking two player game that you made. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, first of all, for our audience who does not know, tell us a little bit about that. 
Uh, so it's a game called uh, Glimpse Friends, and the basic idea was it was supposed to get you looking up from your phone and exploring your world and then sharing that with somebody who probably doesn't live in the same city as you. So the idea is that you get sent a prompt, take a photo of um, something edible beginning with B and you maybe take a photo of a banana and you give it the caption banana and banana ends in A and then you would give a challenge back to the other person of something beginning with A. Um, and so, yeah, it was a it was a mobile game that I released on, on my own, which was never release a mobile game on your own. That's just not a thing that can be done no. these days. No. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I didn't set myself up for enough success. And, and I, I, I loved working on that game. I just wish more people had been able to play it. Mm. Yeah, speaking of like digital games being kind of exhausting. <laughs> um, but yes. I'm really curious about thinking about game mechanics that like enhance or strengthen or reinforce friendship. Like what, what is the brainstorming around that? feel like to you um I think in general in my life I I go out of my way to try to be nice to other people so it's making sure I keep that in mind as I'm designing so thinking about the sort of things that I find annoying or disruptive or um ways that I want to be able to interact with my friends I think about that um either in the real world or digitally and yeah I mean I think in the tabletop space you know there's social deduction games and I find like really full-on social deduction games I think can harm friendships right and and some people kind of joke about that and so that's a positive and that is that is fine for people if you enjoy playing that way but I like to play games still maintaining who I am in the real world and I'm not super cruel to people in the real world at least not intentionally um so I don't want to be cruel to people in a fantasy you know uh, board game space so I try to make sure that uh, that everything's all either very light-hearted or it it's yeah it it builds and it helps people maybe understand a little bit more about the other person yeah is there because social deduction is such a funny thing because it's sort of a halfway to role-playing thing but only bad like you can only like just just the deceptive and like trickery part. Yes, totally. I mean, and part of my issue with social deductions for me is that I don't want to be good at them, and yet sometimes when I am forced to be the liar, I do it ludicrously well, and people just believe me, and that scares the heck out of me because I'm like, ah, oh my gosh, I know that's too much power. I can't, I can't have that. But uh, but all of this said, I did actually do a social deduction game for my cookbook for my edible games, which is really odd. I mean, it seems like it's very unlike me and it doesn't really fit the bill, but it's it's called High Tea Assassin and it's a five-minute game. So there is a small amount of deception. Like, you know, the basics are, uh, I don't know if you ever know the, uh, have known the game Win, Lose, Banana. Nope. I don't know that one. Okay. It's it's the same mechanics as that, but it's with food. So the basics are it's three players, so it's not very many people to begin with, which I think helps. One player, like everybody has two items in front of them. 
each person's two items taste the same but don't taste like anybody else's. And you eat one of your items and that assigns your role. So if you are the monarch, you tell everybody that you're the monarch and then you have to work out who is the loyal subject and who is the assassin. So, you know, other those people, the assassin's being given jam in, in theirs. So, yeah, so you can tell... You can tell what you are. Like the the loyal subject usually has vanilla or something kind of bland. The the monarch has like chocolate or something rich. Like there's savory versions of this as well, with like where you can put dips in it. Or I've got a deviled egg version as well. <laughs> <laughs> but but you know like the the monarch has to go. Who can I trust? And it's all over pretty quickly. Like once the monarch decides who to trust, they swap an item with the other person, and so they're going to get something tasty to eat that they haven't eaten before. Maybe it has jam in it, and they actually like eating jam. And like if they get jam, they've they've lost because they're going to be dead. But it's all so silly and slightly over the top and over quickly that even though it's a social deduction game, I think it's still positive for friendships. I hope. I I think that's an interesting way of like sanding down the edges of deception by just giving someone a sweet thing to eat. Like that's that's very um I don't know primal. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, like I feel like that's one of the things. It's one of my cheats with my edible games, right? I don't know if the games are actually that good, but people love food, and so food makes up for many things. Like so, the games maybe. I mean, if you try to take away the food, I, I think some of the games, you they just don't even exist without food. Some of them you can play in some weird, bastardized version. But, yeah, for the most part, like people are like, oh, I got I got food out of that. It's, it's a win. That's nice. So people can just walk away with like, wow, that's such a, that's something I hadn't really thought about is just how much you can kind of like like reward your players in a very real way like so much of design is talking about like rewards or like incentives and disincentives but yeah that's just such a just such a clear and like really tangible reward like you don't have to wonder about whether or not your players were like adequately rewarded because like it's sugar we love sugar yeah 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 totally people people got food and particularly i mean it's one of the things i love showing my games at events it's an absolute hassle and a nightmare to get food into events and so many event spaces don't allow that but when i do get to show food at an event space i just i love that interaction with people yeah the playing with food is very fun (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is there something kind of forbidden about that too like playing with your food yeah, I, I think so. I think that's kind of uh, a lot of stuff. They're like, oh, hang on, I can do this? Like, I remember the first time I showed at Indiecade back in 2000, I'm sorry, yeah, 2016. And it was like the first time I was really showing edible games. So nobody had really seen seen what I was doing before. And like I would be setting up and people people would either say, oh, I smelt your booth, which generally <laughs> wouldn't be a good thing to hear. Uh, I smelt your booth and I came over. And then, like, if, uh, like, they, for the most part, I had a lot of people playing all, all the weekend, which was really great. But a couple of times there wasn't anyone. And they're like, oh, oh, it's kind of like chess, but I'm going to get to eat the pieces. Ha ha, JK, I'm sure it's not that. I'm like, no, no, it, it actually is. And they're like, what? And they, it just felt like they were like, you mean really I get to eat this stuff oh and then like when I make stuff people don't necessarily expect it to actually taste good they're like oh 
oh, and this tastes good. Like I was just going to have fun eating this. I wasn't expecting to actually get something that tastes nice. And you're like, yeah, I'm I'm looking after you on all fronts. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you, you talk about, you know, being an extrovert and I'm really curious about how much, like how much of making a game like this is just about having those really like pleasant, energetic connections to other people. Yeah, probably a lot. I mean, I think I started doing edible games as kind of like a weird, quirky thing. And then just like the reactions from people were so wonderful that I went, I need to keep doing more of this. This has to be a thing that more people can do. You've said before that if you as the developer can make a game that makes you feel good making it, then maybe you have a good chance of making your players feel good. And it sounds like that was a realization that came out of that year of monthly games. Is that something that you're still carrying with you? Like, do you hold fast to that? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I do it quite as explicitly as I used to, but I like to create magic circles of just happiness and joy. And I want people to, to leave the magic circle feeling a little bit better better and happier so yeah I, I definitely still keep that uh that that with me underserved in my opinion just pure joy games underserved well I mean it's also uh, so I like I worked on a game um Thimbleweed Park which was very much a, a digital adventure game and it's like a single person game but to me it still met my friendship criteria because Many people play the game sitting down with somebody else, like where you put two brains to power the one like game. And so I'm like, okay, that's great. And then um, we were realizing that there was people who were somewhat new to the genre kind of trying to play this game, and they didn't know how to go about solving adventure games, or they got stuck. And people who have been playing adventure games for a long time really love getting stuck. They want to be stuck for a long time. They think that is the best. But people who aren't new to adventure games or people who just have busy lives like are like, ah, I don't want to be stuck for more than two minutes or five minutes or whatever the threshold is. And so we built into the game an in-game hint line. So basically you can call it up at the vast majority of the game and the game knows kind of where you are they know what puzzles you can solve right now and then they allow you to ask questions about it and it kind of helps push you towards like um solutions it doesn't be like go pick up the whatever it's like did you see there might have been a thing that could be helpful maybe you should like what what would be helpful in the first place maybe you should think about that first you know and the responses we've got from that have been really great like so many people say yeah I couldn't have played the game without and and I think that's partly trying to create a nicer space for people like if you enjoy being stuck you can be stuck you don't need to call the hint line but if you don't enjoy being stuck you can create a more enjoyable experience by calling up the hint line for me adventure games are a real struggle it's like it's just a tolerance for frustration thing do you do you ever have players who are like mad that there's a hint line Yes, yeah, yeah. We, and we have had some of that, yeah. So, I mean, because we released the game and then we put in a lot of updates. And so the hint line didn't come in until the game had been out for three or four months. So most of the hardcore adventure gamers had already used that. And then for the other people who are playing since, they 
it's like some of the stuff in Thimbleweed Park, we've got like little to-do lists. We we have other ways of helping people understand what to do and hardcore people are like, that is just terrible. How could you do that? You know, and, and we have a hard and an easy mode. And just the other day, somebody was tweeting about how if you play on the casual mode, then you might as well be drinking decaffeinated coffee. It's like terrible, you're a terrible person kind of thing. Like, I mean, I don't know if that was exactly what they said, but it was along those lines. And like, I sort of tweeted back going, well, no, like the casual mode, yeah, sure, you don't get to see all of the parts of the story, but you get the overall story. You get to play an adventure game and you get to do it on your terms and it helps people who are new to the genre come in and no like you you can't say that's not the real version of the game it's a very real version of the game and it is a totally valid way to play yeah and also if it's in the game it's in the game like i don't know this is just <laughs> like i just don't understand where that comes from yeah i guess it's just the feeling of superiority or like also that i had to go through the hell back in the 80s when there were no hint lines you should have to deal with that now too I, and I understand, you know, people go through pain and they don't think other people should have it easy, but hey. Also, like, I don't, I don't know, like, if it was that painful, like, why did you play? Like, no one made you do, I don't, ugh, I don't know. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm about to get very unprofessional here on the, on the podcast. <laughs> I, I remember once, like, years and years ago, I was at, uh, I was, when I was doing my, um, my master's degree and I was in a room with a bunch of other students and one of them would sit there like at lunch or whatever playing some game and he just yelled all the time at his screen like really like you know and he would finish playing a game and he was so worked up and so angry and so and I'm just like wow did you like did you have an okay time it felt like that wasn't like you know I don't think you enjoyed that at all and he's like what do you mean what are you talking about I had a great time and I'm gonna do it again tomorrow and I'm like okay (laughs) I just could not purposefully get that worked up about something no I don't know and it's and and it is fascinating like I I do legitimately I mean you know we're having a lot of fun here today but I I am legitimately curious about like seeking that experience of frustration in the same way that like you know we seek the experience of being scared even though that's like you know a quote-unquote negative emotion in the horror genre right or we seek the experience of frustration in in the puzzle genre or whatever it is, like we are obviously sometimes for some reason looking for these things that are not ideal. I mean, I I do not understand horror at all. I have no interest in being scared. I see that as not fulfilling any sort of thing. But something like puzzles or like difficulty and platformers and things like that, like, yeah, that the sense of accomplishment when you get over that must be really great. I mean, is that like, do you watch horror movies? Is that what people feel like? They're like, yeah, I made it through that horror movie without screaming. Is that a good thing? <laughs> I don't know. Like, what? I don't, I don't, I really, horror movies are so baffling to me. Horror movies are like, if it's a really good movie, then I like it. But like, the fact that it is going to scare me is like a point against it in a way. I don't know. This, like, I don't, I'm not impressed when I'm scared because it's like, oh, great, I'm going to get less sleep tonight. I, that's not what I need. I don't need this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I went and saw a scary movie when I was quite young and I had night, like, it, and like, it wasn't meant to be a scary movie. It was like PG rated or I don't know, but I had nightmares for 
five, ten years afterwards. So, yeah. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Improve, improve my life greatly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, at least I learned at an early age, no horror movies. And I mean, there's there's too much to do in the world already. At least I can rule out one thing. That's true. And I do kind of love like sad movies sometimes or like, yeah, there's lots. I mean, sad movies, I feel like sometimes you need that to have permission to be sad yourself. I think in our world, we do you are expected to be happy and stuff all the time. And obviously I'm creating games where I expect people to be happy in my game. Otherwise I fail. <laughs> but that's it. There's, there's definitely, I like seeing other people's pain helps me like deal with my own pain and my own hardship. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, I think permission is, is actually an interesting word in there. And I think maybe we're kind of solving the horror movie mystery in that too, because there, there's actually an interesting essay a friend of mine wrote about having anxiety and playing horror video games where they were like it's so nice to just be like on super high alert and like terrified and like watching my back and like super anxious except it's good and I, I'm supposed to and it's like not maladaptive so I think there's something in that social permission that is that is really fascinating yeah yeah I th- that must be true. That's really well. Anyway, I, I like that. That's a really great theory. <laughs> I get st- I get too scared by video games though. Like I'm afraid of like Mario sixty four. That was too scary for me. <laughs> it's like where is Bowser? He's he's just always around. Yeah, I like I remember trying to play Limbo once in I was in some apartment that was empty and quiet, and I just I, yeah I quit. I couldn't do it. It was too scary like because particularly because I'm not a very good platformer right so there was this like spider chasing after me and every time I died it was really kind of scary and stuff like it was quite full-on and I'm just like I no 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 (laughs) walking away like because like I was trying to I was trying to save it I'm like I've got to do this and then because like my my you know twitch skills weren't as great like the kid kept dying and dying and i'm like i'm, I'm sorry i didn't yeah, sorry child this this is also not a great feeling yeah exactly exactly and you know what's funny is the that was the other the other design principle i wanted to ask about was challenge because i know that you're not super into competition but you are very much like into challenging and like challenging yourself. I'm really curious about what that what that ideally looks like in your games. So I mean to me that's partly the challenge part is trying to say hey I want to make games where there is a goal that is not super easy to get. So it's partly for me trying to define that this is to me what I think is important about a game for the sort of games I want to make. Like I I think there's many things out there that are not a game that are still games, you know, like people say it dismissively. So for me the challenge part is about giving people something that they need to overcome that they can feel better for having done. How how does that balance with the joy like how are you able to to give people something that is hard enough that they're going to feel good when they do it but isn't so hard that it's just going to like crush them I guess because it's not super hard to get to so like I mean the order of the oven mitt game in that game 
the only way to lose is if you get too full and you can't keep eating. Otherwise, you will eventually finish the game. So, and for many people, that is not in the least bit difficult. And for some people, that is like impossible. They cannot finish it at all. But I mean, most people are pretty cool with it. They're like, yeah, yeah, six cookies. I've got this. I'm down. So, I mean, I think it's just about playtesting, you know, like you, you see how other people deal with it. One of my other games, the Patisserie Code, is kind of like an escape the room game in a box, but with cream puffs. And I had a version of that, that like it's a six-player game, everybody's working together and you eat a cream puff. And I had a version of that which had a lot of like the sort of logic puzzles where like it's the sort where it's like, so if if Harry is sitting next to Jen and Jen is wearing a green hat what colors hat is harry it was like those sorts of things which i i love i love those sorts of funny uh puzzles but many people don't right they didn't they didn't want that challenge and i showed the game in um in philly um philadelphia at pax east not at pax east but at a side event at a board game cafe where they made all of the cream puffs for me it was amazing they're amazing and seeing like we had a room full of people all trying to solve it all at once and just the people who got it were just like super quick. They're like, bam, bam, bam. Oh my gosh. Amazing experience. Thanks, Jen. Really great. And the people who didn't get it are just like, I'm I'm dumb. I can't do this. Like they kind of came expecting a game where they get to eat some cream puffs and they have a bit of fun and they just, they didn't sign up for something that was that logic puzzly. So I created an entirely different version of it that actually is now like, so the version that I had previously became part two and the new version is part one and they kind of feed into each other. And the way I kind of build it in the book is like, you can either play part one, which is less logic and more eating, or you play part two which is less eating and more logic so you choose or you can do both of them if you want to go crazy but you can kind of like opt into how much difficulty you want to do wow an analog easy mode that's so cool (laughs) yeah I yeah I feel like I want to cater to as many people as I can and just like seeing those people in that space thinking that they were dumb because they couldn't solve my really weird and complicated logic puzzles. I was just like, oh gosh, I'm really sorry. I did not mean to do that to you at all. I'm sorry. That should say like, it's like the you're good at other things mode, <laughs> different skill sets mode. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling myself this as someone who is like super bad with logic puzzles. <laughs> No, 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 no. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's like something I try to reiterate throughout the my my cookbook. Like, change the rules. Like, this is just what I kind of suggest. But you should be having fun with you and your friends. Like, change the rules. Don't, don't. You know, sit on. I'm not going to sit on my high designer horse and go. That's not the way I meant to play the game. Like, I totally believe in house rules. And like for pretty much all of the games at the end of the chapter, I have a little gameplay variation section where I talk about this is ways you can change the game to make it easier for young children, to make it harder, to do whatever you want and and adjust. But hopefully that gives people ideas to make their own totally different variations. Yeah, different styles, like just hacks and stuff. That's interesting. And that's exciting. I wonder if I wonder if that openness to that is connected to the fact that it's food and it's recipes, right? And we're not, I think we're more accustomed to like modifying recipes 
Yeah, I, I wonder. I mean, to me, it's partly tabletop games. Like, I've always modded tabletop games, you know. Like, you don't have the digital system being like, that is not possible. Like, tabletop games, you don't need to abide by any of the rules whatsoever. Uh, you could make it all up entirely as long as everybody at the table agrees um, on how you're going to do that. And so I guess I just felt like I would extend that through to my games and particularly because there is food somebody is going to have to have put in some amount of effort to acquire this food and I don't want it to go to waste like I don't want the food to go to waste I don't want you to have a bad time because for some reason these rules either don't make sense or you don't like them or don't fit for you and whoever's playing or whatever so I it's I guess it's partly the designer in me you should always be modding stuff and I feel like I'm just trying to let other people in on that and be like, hey, you can do this too. Like I'm not like I, I'm not like some crazy genius or something. Like you could you could you can do a tiny bit of game design yourself. Here here's some little tools. Try these that's, out. That's interesting too, because then it's not breaking the rules to break the rules, right? If it's in the book to invite you to do so, then it really is part of the game. Yes, yes. Um, there's a there's a festival in London called Now Play This. I, d I didn't get to go this year. It was just on recently. Um, I went last year. It was an amazing. It's it's a lot of um, very out there games. Um, so kind of very much my space. And one of the things that they had this year was a wall where people put up cards of. Um, games that they played with their house rules and it was just like all kinds of people saying you know how they played like Scrabble or like even digital games where like the only goal was to never shoot anyone or whatever you know it was and like it's impossible to play the game without shooting people but it was just like interesting to see that and and think about how most of the time people think you're cheating or not playing the game right or it's somehow wrong but everybody kind of does it or wants to do it so it should be allowed well and it's it's a way to start it's such a good entryway into design too like to take something that exists and start modifying it which again that applies to recipes like how do you learn to cook you follow a recipe and then you start changing things yeah, I'm actually, like, because I'm mostly a baker to, to first and foremost, I'm not so good at modifying recipes. And it was really interesting in the process of making a cookbook, having to go, oh, I've got to do these recipes. Luckily, like, core the core ingredients are not copyrighted. So I can take recipes directly from other people. I just have to write up the instructions myself, which I enjoy doing and was more than happy to do. But, yeah, it was, I actually did get, better at modifying stuff because I was forced into it because there weren't things that could do what I needed to do that could fit both my gameplay requirements and like just the physicality of food and what people can and can't make. And and you mentioned too that deliciousness is actually important. Like it's not just um you know when you get those pre-made gingerbread house kits? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Did I just hit a nerve? Gingerbread is a pet peeve. Oh my gosh, yeah, gingerbread. You've hit a very much a pet peeve nerve, yeah. Just hit it in one. Like you just went straight there, like with laser precision. I'm like, oh yeah. I'm a hard-hitting journalist. I ask the tough questions. <laughs> Somebody's got to. Yeah, and uh, like did you spend a lot of time on that kind of testing and that kind of modifying as you're also playing around with the rules of games? Uh, yeah, I mean, well, 
Yes, I did. I did try to make sure all of the games uh, were tasting good, and I like I wanted to include vegan and gluten free versions, so I needed to um, do testing on that as well. Uh, one of the games, like Flip and Stick, it uh, the the core version of the game I use um, uh, chocolate chip cookies. I mean, you could use crackers or anything else, right? And I'm like, oh, I should I should include a chocolate chip cookie recipe. So I like I made five different recipes, I think, once, and I and one of them was just like whole house cookie frozen dough or whatever right like so I'm like this this will be the one nobody will choose it it's just like my backup you know to as a sanity check and and people chose it like I was just like devastated I'm like I put all of this work into making like these things how can you like this sort of thing and so it basically made me go you know what there is no chocolate chip recipe in my book because either you don't care about baking in which case you'll just go to the supermarket and buy something or you really do care about baking in which case it is highly likely that you have your own chocolate chip cookie dough like recipe that you enjoy yourself so but there was also another game uh flavor roulette which is actually about um keeping a poker face when eating something bad and so the idea is it's it's the the standard variety version of it is a four player game and three of the items taste good and one of them doesn't taste good and everybody eats their item in turn and that was a really tricky challenge because i needed to create something that didn't taste good so it was very hard to keep a poker face but wasn't so bad that you had to throw it out because that felt like that would be unfair to players if you kind of had to throw it like you know spit it out so that balance was tough and I ended up like I had a I held a party and invited a lot of friends over and we just like tried all these weird experiments some things just actually work like uh like some I'm like oh this this is going to taste gross I'm like oh that tastes that tastes good. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I was so curious about about playtesting as well. Just like getting people to playtest because it's either really, really easy, because it's like, hey, come over, I'll feed you. Or you like run through pre- people really quick where it's like, I cannot eat another shortbread cookie. I have eaten a dozen of them. Well, I it's it was pretty easy for me. I think for the most part, my games worked when I tested them. So I didn't potentially do as much play testing as I maybe should have. But I mean, I showed quite a few of the games at events, and I know they all worked at events where you have a lot of people coming through. So I I feel like this is the bit where food lets me get away with stuff. So that I don't know, like the games probably. If they were more traditional games, they would have needed a lot more playtesting. But people were like, oh, I had fun. I had food. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, great. Locking it in. It is done. <laughs> yep. Players walk away happy. Who cares why they're happy? Not my problem. Yeah. Yep, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, I, I did have some people where it, uh, like I probably had made them eat too many things. Um but for the most part, it worked really well. Um, for that patisserie code game with the the Escape the Room style game, that was definitely a bit harder to test because once you'd played one part, you kind of had one way of thinking. But for my final test for that, for the first version of that, I actually just reached out to my backers. Like once I have backers, I've got a whole bunch of play testers. And it's like, hey, could you come and eat some free food and play a game? And they're like, oh, oh please, 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 please. <laughs> That's so wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 
yeah, because I always have good food, people, it's pretty easy getting people to want to play. And like all of my backers have been just so, so lovely. Like I've, like I worked on Thimbleweed Park uh, and that was a Kickstarter game. And for the vast majority, those backers were really nice people too. But there was a small percentage of people who were like entitled or just grumpy or whatever. And that has not been my experience with my Edible Games book. Everybody is so nice. And if I ever have like some, like I've got some form survey, I'm asking people stuff and I end up leaving a little space to be like anything else I should think about. People write the nicest messages to me. They're like, Jen, you're wonderful. Thank you. Keep doing this stuff. We love you. I'm like, oh, Oh, why thank you. <laughs> Kickstarting does not have to be the end. Like it does not have to wreck you. There 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 are life-sustaining, healthy, happy ways to engage. I I am convinced, I insist. <laughs> there are. I mean, and I think some of it is I feel like with my I'm lucky with my edible games. They seem like such a pure joy type thing and I think people understand them as such that they tend to only give that back to me that I'm not trying to be mean to players or my backers and they just they're just nice they're understanding so yeah it's true like it I don't know you you attract a certain kind of player when you make a certain kind of game I guess I have one final super intense question okay back to back to hard-hitting journalism mode earlier earlier in this call we were discussing chocolate chip cookie recipes I mean I gotta ask like butter versus margarine versus shortening which brown sugar, white sugar, like give me a quick rundown of of what is in your essential cookie recipe. Yeah, definitely brown sugar, uh, light brown sugar, not dark brown sugar, um, and like never margarine, no, no. Um, and only like vegetable shortening if you're trying to do a vegan option. I find many of the vegan butters put too much flavor into stuff, which is sometimes okay, but sometimes if it's too buttery, it can come out too much. But to me, the key is just the chocolate. So I put in um, like high quality, uh, 60% cocoa, like chocolate chips. And yeah, there was, there was some other, like, I feel like it's less about what's in it and more the method of doing it where it's like you use, you use like an ice cream scoop to get them all be the same and you stick them in the freezer for a little bit before you stick them into the oven because then that helps them like spread out at the right amount. And I think that sort of stuff is way more important than the actual ingredients. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do you let your batter sit overnight in the fridge? That was, that was like a classic like that my mom used to do. Yeah, I've heard that. I know I haven't done that. So I mean, I don't get to bake as much as as I want to, and I when I do, I don't. I would never have the patience. No. <laughs> it's like if I want cookies, I want them now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it's like in my cookbook. I've tried to put in a whole bunch of shortcuts because, like, often I'm just like, what's the quickest way from me reading this to getting to play it and eating it mm. and I'm like okay so this is how you hack you like buy cake here you do this you do that and then <laughs> ah yeah you're playing good <laughs> that's nice that's good yeah I mean yeah if I if I actually have time to play a game or bake a cookie I want to play I want to eat let's make it happen <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I mean, but if you want to go hardcore, I give people I give people the options and the tools. So like I feel like I give people like the the choices. You can mm -hmm. choose uh you can choose how much you want to go in. Yeah. 
This has been a very good conversation about challenge, I have to say, which I, I don't get to have very often. So yeah, thank you for that. Thank you. It's yeah, I mean, I love talking about challenge and I'm very much about everybody should be able to play games if they want to. Well, on that lovely, lovely note, thank you for joining me. This is a super cool conversation. If uh, if any of my listeners want to keep up with you and what you're up to these days, where should they go? Uh, so they can follow me on Twitter at Jen Sandercock, or you can sign up for my newsletter. Um, there's a link to that at the bottom of my um, Edible Games website. So it's ediblegames.com. And that newsletter will stay up to date on what I'm doing with my Edible Games. Hopefully there will be more news after I release this book. Maybe some publisher picks it up. Maybe I work out a way to make some money from it and I keep doing it let's let's hope or maybe I just do fun activities and I'll be at random events and maybe your listeners will be at one of those random events and I'll get to meet them definitely that would be awesome well all all of the many many publishers surely who listen to this show uh, get in there pick it up make it happen <laughs> that'd be lovely to Jen for joining us and as always thank you for listening. Backstory is a part of the One Shot Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Alex Roberts, and produced by the talented Alex Sisk. If you want more awesome RPG related shows, you can go to oneshotpodcast.com to check out things like Session Zero. Session Zero is a discussion podcast that seeks to explore the psychology of role-playing. Each episode will feature role-playing concepts, stories, and tropes viewed through the lens of psychology by clinical psychologist Porter Green and industrial organizational psychologist Steve Discont. Join us on the couch for the next session. Porter and Steve are absolutely brilliant. I'm really, really excited that they've started a show on the network. So like, seriously, give this one a shot. Music for Backstory is provided by Ujiko. The track is called Thinking of You, and you can hear more by searching U-J-I-C-O on SoundCloud or Spotify or wherever else you get your chill beats. Talk to you later, friends. Thank you.